Hello, everybody. Welcome to Mental Health TV. We're really pleased to have you with us tonight. We've got some fantastic guests and a very exciting discussion around a professional nurse advocate program. But first of all, I'd like to welcome back Vanessa. Hello, Vanessa. Can you tell us how we can join in on social media? Yeah. Hello, everyone. It's nice to be back. So I'm going to be um, looking at the social media tonight. So um, for anyone listening who hasn't joined us before, you can join in one of two ways. You can either go on to Facebook and look up Unite MHNA Facebook page, um, like the page there and the live stream should pop up. Um, there'll be opportunity for you to ask questions in the live stream and I'll be monitoring that and feeding the questions in. If you prefer Twitter, if you look up MHTV hashtag and um, the live stream should also appear there um, in terms of conversation, and I'll monitor that as well. And again, any questions, we'd love to hear from you. You know, do join in. We like it to be interactive. Thank you. Yeah, yeah we like you. Do tell us what you think. So let's come to our guests. First of all, um, we've got Emma Wady. Can you tell us who you are, Emma, for people who don't know? Yeah, thank you. So my name's Emma, Emma Wady. I'm the Head of Mental Health Nursing for NHS England Improvement. And I'm the um, Programme Lead for Professional Advocate Programme. We're joined by another fantastic colleague, Gemma. Can you tell us who you are, Gemma? Yeah, so my name's Gemma. Um, I'm a registered nurse. I'm working across Cheshire and Wirral. Um, currently working on the home treatment team um, and doing a bit of work across inpatient mental health wards as well. Fantastic. So just to get the ball rolling so that we've got some context of our discussion, I wonder if you could tell us what is the Professional Nurse Advocates Programme? What does it mean? What is it? Yeah, so thank you. Just to give a little bit of a, a background. So the Professional Nurse Advocate Programme is completely new. It didn't exist um, before March of this year. Um, it's based on the model, actually, that I've stolen shamelessly for midwifery. So I'm being completely honest. They've had professional midwifery advocates now for about four years. Um, and it was a model that was developed. Uh, it's in a clinical professional leadership programme, which is a bit of a tongue twister. Um, but I think that's really important to say and to signify right at the beginning that this is a programme, it's a master's level accredited programme, and it is about um, really, not enforcing probably sounds a little bit strong, but embedding that professional clinical leadership in clinical practice and really giving a framework around competency and confidence in four key areas. So within midwifery, it was um, initially developed and when statutory mandatory supervision for them was ceased and it was um, considered about what could be put in place that would be less of a hierarchical stick, which I think the mandatory supervision framework had been seen as, and much more about something that enabled midwives to be leading the transformation within their services on the back of some pretty serious public inquiries. Yeah. Um, some of the evaluation from that, and I've been enviously looking at it for quite some time actually, um, because the work, which does include um, restorative clinical supervision as one of the four key elements, I'll talk about the four key elements in a moment, but the independent evaluation that was done into that programme actually had some really good outcomes. And some of those um, critical outcomes were that it reduced sickness absence rates, it reduced turnover, it improved recruitment, so all of those big data things that everyone always jumps up and down about, it really made some improvements. But from my perspective, clinically, um, some of the most important um, difference that it made, actually, was it made those midwives feel more valued. Um, it made them have better work-life balance. Um, they reported having better um, work-life relationships, so better team relationships, that they felt 
more able to advocate to speak up, not only for their profession, but better able to speak up for the, the mums and babies that they were looking after and really be part of transforming and developing care. So it had some really critical outcomes that I thought could translate really easily and nicely into nursing practice. So that was the, the basis that I'd heard about um, the PMA programme and some of the, the great benefits that it had for that profession. And I had an opportunity um, ar around Christmas this year of being given a very small pot of money from um, COVID monies, which was given um, as part of the whole package around the mental health and wellbeing of the workforce. So there was a business case put together around the mental health and wellbeing hubs, which hopefully the people listening will, will know about. But I was always keen that there was something specifically in there for nurses. And the feedback that I'd had consistently from nurses over the last year across all fields of practice, actually. Um, so although I, I'm the head for mental health nursing, I, I still have continued clinical practice, but I've been doing quite a lot of listening events back into critical care and other areas of, of practice. And nurses were coming out with some of the same things that they wanted. Although they acknowledge they've had an absolutely terrible time, you know, as many of us have over the last year for personal and professional reasons, mm -hmm. they didn't want someone coming in to do it to them. They didn't want mental health teams flying in and rescuing or necessarily psychologists. That's not to say that there isn't a place for that, you know, that specialist need and skill and needed, but they wanted to be part of the change. They wanted to be leading any change that happened and they wanted to be doing that for themselves and each other. And that the PMA program. So got some money, a very small amount initially to trial this with critical care nurses. Um, and the idea was that we would train two, at least two critical care nurses for every critical care unit in England. Um, and that could enable them to have skills in personal impact and quality improvement, in understanding and quality monitoring, so knowing when things weren't going quite well and what to do about it about improving the culture of education and development so actually it became a learning environment rather than a blaming environment or an environment that was actually conducive for students um, and receptors and then fourthly that they would deliver restorative clinical supervision which is one type of supervision people on the call will know that there's many types and this is just one um, form of um, clinical supervision which focuses on health and well-being as it's premised rather than it being around necessarily clinical skill. So it's a reflective tool. Um, and the critical care nurses really liked this idea of this programme and they really wanted it. They really wanted something for themselves and to feel valued and invested in actually. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think anyone thought it would take off. We were at that point in the, the midst of the second peak and it was pretty dire for most of those critical care units at that point. They were feeling pretty overwhelmed and overstretched as they have done for some time. But actually, um, we did recruit all of those. It was 436 critical care nurses. Um, and on the back of their feedback and their eagerness to, to step forward and do that programme, I actually secured an additional, that was half a million we got initially. Since then, I've secured around £7 million to roll this out to 5,000 nurses this year. So that will be across all fields of practice. Um, we started in March. It's a 10-day virtual programme, as I said, it's master's level. We've already had 579 nurses complete the programme already um, since March. Um, we've got about 1,600 nurses that are already enrolled. So some have started, I think we had about 150 started last week. You know, so each week we're adding more and more and more. Um, and by the end of 2022, as I said, we will have had 5,000 nurses 
would have gone through this programme of work. Of those, because I know I'm going to get asked about mental health nursing numbers, so I've made sure I know my numbers. So of those, we did um, that initial um, cohort two, if you like. Um, we actually looked at making sure that every adult acute mental health inpatient ward also had access to a PNA. So we have 307 adults inpatient nurses who are enrolled in the programme and we have 126 children and people's nurses enrolled on the programme as well at the moment so roughly about 10% of that 5,000 so far are mental health nurses but there are 3,000 places left to be allocated by the region so that won't be the end of the mental health patients but we have confined at the beginning but I'll pause for breath there <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, well, I'll come back to you with some questions about how people can get involved with things like that. But before we do that, I think it would be really useful to hear a little bit about Gemma's experience. Yeah. So obviously, before we start this, we were talking about healthcare being, you know, a high trauma environment anyway. And I think obviously COVID's widened that platform and made it obviously a little bit more difficult for us to do our jobs. And, you know, over the past year, mm. it's been like no other, you know, we've shown commitment and obviously skill to looking after people with COVID. Um, as well as keeping our services going. And I think it's it's obviously the course at the moment, I'm only week three, um, but, you know, as already we've, you know, we've learned quite a lot. It's looking at a strengths-based approach, really, more of it as a um, preventative strategy for helping, you know, colleagues to deal with what, you know, what we've seen and what we've gone through over the past 12 months. And it's looking at kind of self-compassion, um, reflection and kind of just supporting each other in, in practice to be able to move forward um, you know listening and understanding to each other um, our challenges and and stuff like that and leading and supporting as well as as delivering quality improvement initiatives as well um, and again as I said you know looking at our strengths and looking at things that have gone well rather than than focusing on the negatives because I know you know, over the past 12 months, COVID's left a lot of people with quite a, a negative and unhealthy beliefs about, you know, their own capabilities and confidence to be able to do their job again. Mm -hmm. um, I am working with a guy at the moment who's on phased return. Um, he's been off for over a year with, with long COVID. Um, mm -hmm. And it's kind of, it's nice to be able to, you know, utilise the skills and stuff that we, we've learned so far um, from the PNA course and put that into practice, you know. And he does, he feels a lot more supported and valued and, and able to kind of get back into the role again. Um, mm. So it, it's it's nice to see that that in, in swing. Mm. It's really important, isn't it, when you think about, you know, people have been drawing on their own resources now for such a long time. If we don't put something back in, what do we think is going to happen? I mean, it makes yeah. perfect sense. And I love the fact as well that it's, was that it kind of has that supervisory element that, that is restorative, that, yeah. you know, it's not attached to line management, it's not attached to any of those other things. That's so important. You know, the sorts of things that we do when we're working with service users, we all know what works to help somebody to recover and to feel better. And then the idea that we wouldn't do that for each other is, is strange. So I, I love that. I love that. That's brilliant. What made you sign up? You know, what was the, what was the sort of trigger event for you? Think, right, that's it. This is for me. Because it's, you know, you're you're busy. Yeah, <laughs> we've, yeah. we've got that you know you've got a full workload what, what is it that made yeah. you think right this is for me I mean for me I firstly seen advertising you know, for the critical care nurses and I thought you know that's a really good idea given obviously their environment you know can be really quite traumatic you know what they've seen over the past 12 months but for them to be rolled out across mental health services I just thought it was quite interesting um because obviously as you say we're quite good at looking after other people's mental health in our, in our role and um, but we don't kind of take the time to to look after ourselves really and and 
and, and support each other. And um, so it, it's kind of nice when I did see see advertised, you know, to to be able to do that um, and have the time aside to be able to look at look at ourselves and reflect on the past year and and kind of share that knowledge and, and support other people to be able to continue with what we do, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. So just either one of you wants to So how, suppose someone's listening and they're really interested in this and they want to know more about it or maybe they want to get involved. How might they do that? I take that bit first. <laughs> so we have actually got our own web page now um, on the um, NHSEI website. So um, that has got all the information around um, frequently asked questions, but also we're uploading there around all the HEIs that are providing the programme at the moment. We will be hosting some blogs and testimonies on there. We also list on there the regional advisors. We're really lucky that part of the funding that I put in place is actually to have a senior nursing post, which again, I'm, I'm always looking at ways of developing more senior nursing posts um, in key positions to really have our national regional strategy. So we have got seven regional posts that will be supporting um, PNAs in practice and supporting trust to ensure that they're released in order. That's probably one of the questions that's going to come up. So yeah. the regional advisors are there to ensure one that PNAs are supported, two that there's the infrastructure and trust, but also they will be deciding how to allocate the remaining three thousand places that we've got this year. Of course, I'm hoping for more. Um, mm -hmm. so there is the website, um, and that should have all the information there around what it is, why we're doing it, and um, how they can find out more if they're interested in becoming a PNA. We are having some films made and some animation, so it is kind of building in midair at the moment in terms of what's there. Um, and actually, we can link them to people that are doing the program already. So I would say, don't listen to people like me. Um, it's much more important to link up with people like Gemma. And actually, because we've tried to ensure that everywhere has got access to a training place quite early on, there should yeah. be many people that can't find a PNA um, that space near them to find out more. I think we can tweet that stuff out as well, can't we? I'm just saying to Dave, of course we can, Dave. <laughs> that will come out too. So I just just take you back to like the start of it because being able to suddenly um, initiate such a big change and and to be able to bring something forward so in such well really quite a fast way, really it's quite quick, isn't it? This change. Um, how have you done that? And 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 what what lessons have you learned from that? Um, that's a very, very good, poignant question, isn't it? I think initially, um, when I've, I've been actually asking for money for something for quite a long time, so although it might seem quite rapid, um, there was a lot of work behind the scenes that was going on, a lot of listening, actually, to nurses and picking up key allies, thinking about what would work if I could get access to the money and, and being prepared, actually, in terms of having an idea ready if the money was going down. Um, so this was of year at least in the making of, as I say, a really kind of listening, plotting, looking jealously across and thinking about what it could be that we could have similarly. So there was an element of perhaps being in the right place at the right time. Mm. So when the opportunity came, I think possibly because I was a bit like a dog with a bone and they gave me a bit thinking just keep on quiet over there with <laughs> the nurses. I mean, I will say as well, there's nothing more powerful than being able to, to share the voice of nurses. And I guess where I've got lots of privilege at the moment in this position is I get to be around the table to do that um, and I really can elevate those voices um, and say actually this is what I've heard this is what people are asking for and I've got a solution and often people want a solution and I had a solution I guess I didn't know it was going to work 
but I had an idea and a solution. Mm-hmm. And the nurses bought into that in the first place, which is probably the most important thing, is that um, this wouldn't have worked unless I absolutely had the buy-in from those nurses saying this is what they wanted, this is what they needed. And then relatively, it's happened quite quickly because um, there's a, there's an appetite for this. There is a real hunger for this, actually, um, in nurses. Mm-hmm. And that's having the opportunity, and I guess I just presented the opportunity um, and we've been overwhelmed, I've been completely overwhelmed actually around the positivity. Mm. People like Gemma actually, that took a bit of a leap of faith to be honest, because when we put the adverts out, I don't think lots of people really knew what it was. Um, I'm not sure I even knew how good it was going to be. I'm never quite sure how this stuff's going to land. Yeah. And, um, but people took that leap of faith, they're already. And they're ready to try something new. And I think mm. there's a lot to be said around people just particularly nurses who, for lots of reasons that I probably won't go into here, that we haven't necessarily had the investment that we should have done for a long, long time. Um, and once we offered that investment, people were just really, really, um, I think it's lessons learned. It's not perfect at the moment we're building as we go. So some of the infrastructure is not going to be quite there in the beginning like I would like it to be. So I can't say it's going to be easy for those, those pioneering professionals advocates that come out first in terms of carving out how much time they're going to be allocated and how that's going to work on the establishment. So they really are paving the way for those that will come after them. Mm-hmm. But probably if I'd waited to get all that in place, we'd still be waiting two or three years. And sometimes you just got to take a chance. And I was just lucky Absolutely. that um, people were willing to take a chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if that really answered all your questions. There's probably still lots of things to learn. And there's mm-hmm. been lots of process things that we've learned along the way. But the other um, key people that I really do want to say a big thank you to is actually our our nurse lecturers and our nursing departments and universities, because equally this course did not exist. Um, They'd never heard of, you know, there there was the PMA, um, but it'd never been adapted for nursing. We know HEIs are themselves inundated with work at the moment, having to work really incredibly hard with less and less and less, etc., and it really was a call to arms when I went out to them to, to design a programme that would meet the competencies and have it ready in literally three months. Mm. I cannot thank those, those nursing lecturers and those professors mm. of nursing and those HIs who also believed in the idea. And we now have 15 mm. um, higher education institutes that are delivering this programme. Um, and I think that we started with nine. So we've managed to drag another six <laughs> a couple of months. And hopefully that was the only limiting factor, actually. Isn't it? Mm. In the end, I had more money than I could spend because I, the limiting factor was at places. So I'm mm. hopeful that next year, if we get more money, that we can persuade more HEIs. But again, we wouldn't be where we are without those also, those HEIs, having a bit of a leap of faith and really believing that this was the right thing to do. Mm. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because whenever you try and bring change into big organisations, you always get those voices like, it's not going to work, people are too tired, no one's interested. But it just goes to show if you actually go out there on a limb and you actually say, here's something that will help. Here's something that might help you, might make you feel better, might help you do your job. People want that. People yeah. want to, to be cared for and to care about each other. But did you want to come in there, Gemma? Yeah, I was just saying it's, it's quite interesting and it's quite exciting, to be honest, as well. The, the trust that I work for, um, obviously, they are aware of, the, of this course. 
um, and I met with the chief exec uh, a couple of months ago just to kind of let her know what it was about and stuff and, and you know, where we could go with it really once once it's rolled out and they're quite supportive um, and they do kind of small COVID groups and stuff now anyway. Um, but it'd be kind of, it'd be kind of good to bring me in and, and, you know, tie me into those things, especially with obviously the training and stuff like that following the programme. Yeah, absolutely. We've got um, some questions sort of coming in here now. Chips and Travis, people are getting their head around it. So um, one of the issues is, uh, will it be a programme that extends outside of nursing? Um, and, and then we've got another comment as well, talking about the fact that sometimes NHS organisations can be an unhealthy place to work, which is someone I think being tactful there. <laughs> yeah. so the Fresh Nurse Advocacy Programme is just for nurses. Mm -hmm. It already is um, a similar programme, as I said, it, this is um, very much drawing on the professional midwifery advocate. Mm. There is nothing to suggest that this programme, a similar programme, could not work for other healthcare professions. I've certainly had conversations um, with paramedics and AHPs, etc., about how they might adapt um, and think of doing similar, but this special nurse advocate is just for nurses. Mm. Not to say that their skills and competencies can't be used to support their healthcare colleagues, because of course they can. But this particular training is, is for nurses only. And it's not just NHS nurses. You reminded me talking about the NHS not being mm. a place. place. Um, and I would agree, culture is everything. And, and that does vary across organisations as it does anywhere. Um, but actually, this was opened up to anyone that provided NHS commissioned care. It's quite difficult to go too much outside of that. Um, it's particularly important when we're thinking about mental health and learning disability settings where we know vast proportions of our of our care and most specialist care is provided in those settings. So those nurses that work within the independent sector yeah. have also been able to access this programme the same as any other nurses. So they haven't been disadvantaged in that, in that respect. I really like that. That's such a thoughtful thing to do because our learning disability colleagues frequently get sidelined, don't they, with things like that. And I think one of the things we were talking before we came on air was that, that whenever you have initiatives like this um, and you're thinking about kind of a ward or a team setting, sometimes it's the same nurses that always get put forward for things. Yeah. And so you get some nurses who are very well supported and very well connected and other nurses who really struggle and who just don't get that investment. And it gives a really strong message, doesn't it, to the rest of the team about what, what people were really valued in. If you don't extend that compassion and care to everybody, that's an issue, isn't it? I think... One of the other things I quite like about it that you were saying is that it gives nurses a way into um, CPD or continuing um, work or going back into master's type work. Can you say a little bit about that? Yeah, so there's a couple of points that would be really good to pick up around that. Actually. So the firstly, just your, your first point about um, access and, and nurses, which leads into the master's quite nicely, actually. So one of the key things we looked at, and I did have some, I didn't just put my finger in the air and think I know, critical care and then I know um, children's nursing. So the way that we decided the prioritisation group was we looked at some key data around um, that we had access to, you know, that, that is limited, so I'd be clear about that. But we looked at things like um, the, the data that we had for critical care, so we know that there is data around the levels of post-traumatic stress disorder, suicidal thinking, um, substance misuse, anxiety, etc, etc. So we had some data around that. For mental health, I used the data around our vacancy rates our levels of self-harm, the levels of acuity, and the levels of violence that our staff are having to manage um, on a daily basis that has also increased during COVID. So I was able to build a picture of the areas within each field of practice that we felt collectively, and this was always done in discussion with 
with nurses and senior, senior nurses, directors of nursing. Um, and we picked acute inpatient wards. And what was interesting about that was that quite often they said, we can't release those nurses because their short staff had quite a few basic saying, sorry, you can't. And I said, well, if you don't release them, they're not going to be there next week or next year because that's why they're there. It comes to that point about we had to really hold the line and probably mm. be quite belligerent about who could have, and that's probably given me quite a lot of flack. But it was because we knew, because I see the data mm. and I hear the stories, um, that those nurses in some of those settings never, ever get the opportunity unless we'd really ring-fenced it for that purpose. And then within that, we also knew um, that what had worked well elsewhere was that restorative clinical supervision, what's really important is that it's, it feels much more of a peer-led initiative, that it's not hierarchical or line managerial. And one of the, the benefits was that it was people that were in clinical practice working amongst their clinical colleagues who'd been facilitating it. Um, and it's those bands, five and six nurses that it's aimed at, those experienced nurses that perhaps for, for lots of reasons haven't chosen to, to go up or sideways or whatever, but actually have got so much skill and expertise and knowledge and compassion. But they were the people we're targeting. What we found was that two things. One is I wanted this programme to be master's level. It already was for midwives, and I, I thought it absolutely should be for nurses. One of the things that we came up against, the barrier, was that the majority of nurses that we knew would benefit the most from this programme and would be able to make the most difference collectively. That's not to say that we haven't got band seven and eight that are going to make a million collectively about 80% wouldn't have met the criteria with the HDR yeah. because I was really naive I didn't realize that our academic qualifications lose currency after five years mine are well and truly rotten and, and you know, <laughs> skeletal, skeletal now I think um, and so what we had we, we negotiated with the university hard and they've wiped out that time limit which was pretty hard negotiation I have to say but mm. we did it and we did it because it opens up and it, it provides a level playing field for the first time for many, many nurses who would not have been able to access professional yeah. development and yeah. in a formalised academic way. What that would mean and what we found was there were certain areas of practice where that was much more prevalent. Mental health, unfortunately, one of them. Mm. Uh, but also it wasn't just within that. It was some of our um, children's nurses as well haven't had any CPD in a, a formal way other than your mandatory and your bits and bobs mm. for 20, 25 years. So I've had nurses ringing me, crying, mm. happiness, mm. sending the most lovely emails thanking me because mm. they've not had this opportunity before and this will open up mm. so many other opportunities for them mm. around practice or, you know, whatever, even if they don't choose to do that. But who just would not have had this opportunity before, and I'd completely underestimated mm. that effort, actually. Mm. That's been quite well, a I think, yeah, they're really lucky that they've had you to advocate with, I think, the newly invented professional belligerence, which I, <laughs> I'm particularly fond of now as a, as a statement. But I mean, when you think about that five year rule, how, I mean, I come from an AGR myself, how ridiculous is that? All you need to do is have a baby, and then you don't qualify. You know, so if you have some time off and then you have to do some work before you go back, that puts you outside the limit, which is tons of tons of nurses or women will have you know, families or people with families. That's just crazy, isn't it? When you think about it like that, the idea that you would just cut the legs out from a whole profession, plus how hard it is if you're coming back part time to argue for a release for um, study. That's so difficult. I wondered if uh, Vanessa wanted to come in at all on this. 
If you're tweeting, Vanessa, I don't want to put you off. But you are. <laughs> yeah, well, so I was miles away then. Yeah. I mean, for me, um, back to Emma's point a few minutes ago, really, I think the the peer, the peer emphasis is really important. Um, and I'm glad you said that, because I was thinking about that as you were talking, really, um, because I used to... Um, long time ago now but be involved in supporting staff following critical incidents you know such as su attempted suicides and other serious incidents and it always struck me that you know we kind of swooped into a ward that we weren't part of um and you know did things to people in terms of the psychological interventions and then left and um and whilst it wasn't deliberately hierarchical I think that was Kind of probably how it was perceived and just this for me it's really important what you're saying um about it being peer led um and about you know nurses being acknowledged for the expertise that they've got in these areas and being you know empowered to kind of get involved and you know really the importance of you know changing cultures as well isn't it rather than just delivering interventions but actually making it part of the culture so that there is a learning culture and a non-blame culture as well mm is important and I think you know you mentioned earlier didn't you about um you know somebody returning to work with long COVID I think that's a really great example isn't it that could be mm -hmm. looked at much wider really in terms of like HR and how we support people generally yeah to work. um you know particularly as well nurses who were subject to um you know disciplinary procedures i think you can really see the kind of link between between that and how you know we can help people who've you know not deliberately um you know done anything um in a sort of harmful way in a in you know deliberately but actually how we can use these approaches to you know to help people in a sort of less blaming damning kind of way of people because you know some of the disciplinary um, processes that I've been involved in in the past they're quite traumatic to even be part of them never mind be the person you know who's who sat there you know people often feel bad enough don't they um for making mistakes without the kind of traditional sort of hierarchical approach that happens and that kicks in so um yeah I think they're just my observations really I think the cultural aspect the peer aspect how this could link in better to HR procedures and the way that we kind of manage things and obviously links into sort of speaking out and speaking up about um poor practice as well doesn't it and the potential changes that it could lead to in those areas as well if people feel that by making a mistake they're not going to be sacked that actually you know there's a more sort of just culture approach then I think that's important as well fundamental to valuing each other isn't it really 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 important and i was wondering as well for, for Gemma about the the way that it's delivered i assume you're learning online Gemma. i wondered yeah, how that was going moment, yeah everything's online at the moment but it's quite good because obviously our cohort's quite small um, mm -hmm. and they're from all over the country so we're all kind of learning about mm -hmm. each other's work environments and stuff and we've got a little group mm -hmm. on whatsapp that we keep keep in contact with on there outside of uni but yeah it is it's all online so it's rather strange <laughs> <laughs> And how are you managing it alongside the, the other work that you're doing at the moment, your main job? 
Um, it's been great to be honest because obviously I think this is another thing I think it's important that obviously your workplace is aware of the role Um, Mm -hmm. I know that you know not everybody is aware of of what it is people still ask me now like what are you doing at uni and stuff so it's about obviously getting the word out about what it is we're doing Um, and as I say you know my line manager is really supportive and so she's aware of what I'm doing and I do get time aside to obviously dedicate to uni and to do a bit of work with with obviously the guy that I'm working with who's on phased return at the moment. So, yeah, it's good. I think it's it's good if people know what you're doing and what you're up to and, and kind of know more about the role and stuff. Mm. So you've given a really good account of like the fact that this role is is already making a difference, I think. And I wondered, um, is there plans for an evaluation, the dreaded evaluation? Mm. Uh, no, it's not dreaded at all. So I've given a little bit of oversight for some of the work that's already underway, actually. Because um, so two things: we've actually already commis- um, commissioned an independent um, economic evaluation. Mm-hmm. Get some new teeth, I think. Um, which is already underway and starting. Now they're always quite tricky because it's quite difficult to see impact very soon. But that is that is underway. We've also got analytical support that will be working alongside the trust in the regions around some monthly returns. Um, and particularly, and the reason I'm picking this one particularly, because um, I think this will be of importance. So I'm going to focus on the, the restorative clinical supervision element just for one moment on this. So everyone will know that um, we all should have clinical supervision. We know the benefits of clinical supervision, particularly in mental health, I think we're aware of the benefits. We don't always have it, we don't get the time. It is actually part of the NHS contract that trusts have always given assurance that they are meeting, that they are enabling their their staff, not just nurses, to um, have access to and participate in clinical supervision. But nationally, we've never been able to capture that data um, to demonstrate assurance. And I don't really want to talk, you know, for me, it's more than assurance, but these are some of the key drivers that will help embed this. So the returns are going to capture that for the first time. Um, around ensuring that we're compliant with the NHS contract around clinical supervision, which will really enshrine and ensure not okay. just that the PNAs are released, for want of a better word, to, to um, provide the restorative clinical supervision, whether that's individually or in group, but also that people have the time to do it. It's also been part of the safer staffing guidance. It will be part of the CQC's world-led domain, as it is already for midwives. Um, and it is going to be part of the quality standards for critical care. So there are some really key policy drivers beside this. Mm-hmm. And we've also just started um, the finer details of going out to hopefully next week will be an independent research evaluation as well, which will be much more of a qualitative piece of going out to open tender to all of the HEIs which will look at not just the impact of the, the nurse who's undertaken the training to see what what difference if any of it's made to them on an individual level, but it will also be looking at the impact that that role has had within a within a service area or unit or ward or team. Um, so that will also be an independent, completely independent um, evaluation of what's happening. Mm-hmm. I have said that I will look at some smaller bids from trust that are wanting to to do some smaller pieces of research. Um, nurse-led, of course, that's going to be a prerequisite of any research that we give. It was, and that is already on there. That was one of the limiting factors, the HEIs, actually, is because I said it had to be nurse-led. Mm-hmm. So I thought if you're going to have the privilege of having influence, you, you've got to use it sometimes. Yes, so yeah, Nurse-led as well. Um, but I'm also keen to look at, you know, small pocket pilots 
um, alongside that. So all of that work, is, that's the bit of the building in mid-air piece, actually, is that it's coming up in size um, as we speak in terms of the evaluations. That's no bad thing, though, is it? That, and I think as well that kind of real combination between the qualitative data, which speaks to, I mean, I get much more persuaded by qualitative data, which is why I'm never given a budget. But if you, if you want the budget, you need the quantitative data as well. Don't you? you need to be able to say this has made a difference. So yeah. it's really useful to see that. Collecting some of the testimonies because some, of, you know, I want to put a bid in for next year's money. Mm. I'm very open and honest about that. That this for me, this is just year one. Mm. This it means some pump priming for another couple of years at least. I would hope to really kind of get them. I'm going. I want there to be one PNA for every twenty nurses at the moment. Five thousand will give us about one in a hundred, which isn't enough. Mm. So we've got a long way to go. But um, we're collecting the testimonies from nurses, mm. and, and um, at least ten percent of those critical care PNAs have said they were about to leave, and this has prevented them leaving. I mean, that's terrifying. On one hand, I'm really pleased. On the other hand, stories like that always terrify me. How close we come to squandering this amazing resource. I find it really shocking. I mean, I'm pleased that we're doing something, but God. I'm collecting those. I don't yeah. always story sounds like it's made up, but so I'm collecting those testimonies as well. Um, they're sent to me. One, because, you know, it's always lovely to read, isn't it, when you're having a bad moment and tearing your hair out. But, but also because those are really important. They're much more than the numbers. The difference this is making yeah. not just those individuals but the teams that they're working with it's been quite phenomenal actually mm. and i think Gemma was talking about sort of like these kind of informal communities of practice and that's something i'd like to explore as well before we finish up but before i do that i'm aware that i, I would like to come back to vanessa and see if there was something so she was going to say something a moment ago <laughs> just gone right out of my head all right so. we'll look at you and it'll come back to you i promise <laughs> so we think about those community mm -hmm. practices when jimmy you were saying you had like the whatsapp and things like that and 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 have you thought of it now i've remembered it was just about oh. um just the point you're making really about evaluation was yeah. um me what's always been a sticking point uh you know when nurses leave um the profession and the nhs that we don't spend enough time doing exit interviews with people to kind of determine you know why people are leaving because often we know that it's because of environmental pressures and that kind of thing but we don't capture that so it wasn't really a question really as such it was more an observation of how this might feed into that as well really because you know there's a lot of nurses who you know we know are going on and leaving and moving on to other professions or working independently um, nurses who retire at 55 who could potentially stay and um, you know continue to provide a really valuable service but often feel that they've had enough at that point so it was just um, uh, you know an observation and comment that that might be a good uh, something to feed mm. into it really because it strikes mm. me as a part and group but again, it's it's very, going back to the thing that Emma was talking about with, you know, there's a group, there's a pocket of nurses who have got so much organisational and professional knowledge and understanding, might not be necessarily academically quantified, but, you know, they 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 are such a valuable resource. When I first came in, I'm sure it was the same for you, um, is you had that layer of people just above you who'd been there forever and who knew everything and you could ask all the informal questions to and you learned so much from them. And then as that layer got thinner and thinner, and now it's tiny, 
it's really much harder, I think, for newly qualified nurses to transition into the profession when you don't have that informal web of support around you, of people to go, calm down, it's fine. <laughs> like, no, this yeah. always happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it makes it really hard. I guess that takes us back to that kind of communities of practice then. Um, I wondered if either Emma or, or Gemma, I didn't realise that rhymed, but now it does, <laughs> um, wanted to come back to us. So thinking about, you know, communities of practice or how we create those, any any ideas around that? Yeah, so obviously at the moment, you know, we are, we are using WhatsApp to kind of communicate and stuff outside of uni, but I think Twitter as well, obviously, you know, the PNA network on Twitter is huge at the moment. And I think obviously yeah. the critical care nurses have kind of led on that because they were the first cohort. Um, but it's really useful, you know, to, to to see on Twitter how how people are getting on and their experiences and stuff like that of the role of that, especially because they're well, you know, well into it by now. Um, so it, yeah, it, it's good to see. And to say the communities of practice is exactly where I'd like to see this going. So what we've tried to encourage is that the PNAs link with the PMAs within their system. Yeah. And the regional PNA advisors are going to help facilitate that. Obviously, that that bit more local has more come on board, so that we have some cross profession, cross practice, cross geographical boundary, if you like, communities yeah. of practice that start to build across ICS footprints a little bit more. So the nurses that we've already got that have trained, we've got. So, for instance, there is there are two professionals advocates for every single health and criminal justice setting in the country. These are the first lot that have gone. Two for every critical care unit, one for every adult acute ward, mental health ward, one for every children and persons mental health ward, one for every learning disability inpatient setting, one for every paediatric ward. We've got 600 community nurses, 250 nurses that have been um, ring fenced for international nurses specifically. Um, and we've got a very small pilot of safeguarding nurses just as a slight aside. And then we've got the 3,000 that we've had next. But we're already encouraging professional networks and we've got professional leads that are just coming into post to support professional PNA networks. So one for mental health, one for community, one for LD that will pull out if there are any specific opportunities, any specific barriers within different areas of practice that we need to address, overcome, capture, share, whatever, as well as really encouraging, as I say, some community as a practice at local level, which mm -hmm. we will see joining together across footprint. They are starting. Um, and I think that will start to build because that's how this is going to sustain, actually. It's not me being a million mm -hmm. miles away somewhere else. It's going to be people like Gemma, actually. But mm -hmm. the commitment, the passion, the connections. <laughs> no mean feet, Gemma, so there's a lot riding on you. Always <laughs> 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 that you can you know, link with on a day-to-day -day basis. I'd love to do a piece of research on that with you, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I see how you, I, I, I'm starting to see how you get stuff done, Emma, now. <laughs> it's becoming clearer to me. Yeah. Uh, we've got a, a, another question coming. Um, so I'll come back over to Vanessa. And then afterwards, we, ne we need to start wrapping up. So if you guys have um, any sort of things you'd like to leave the audience with, any last thoughts, that would be great. But first of all, Vanessa? In terms of the question on... Um, yeah, sure. On fair... We've got a question from Alfonso, haven't we, over on Facebook. I don't know if you've seen that one. It just says, any thoughts from the panel on how the PNA training differs or is similar to other programmes across the EU or worldwide, which is a great question. I can answer that. Question. It's not similar worldwide at all. So I have been speaking. Um, so I'm part of the 
I'm a member of the WHO technical advisory group for the um, COVID impact on mental health services. There is nothing across Europe and nothing across the world that I'm aware of at all that is anything like this. In fact, I've been speaking to colleagues in Canada um, and Australia. There is restorative clinical supervision, of course, that's been around since at least 2005, probably before that, but that's the earliest published papers. There are, of course, other leadership programmes. And of course, they have lots of merit and will continue to do so. But there is nothing else like this that collectively brings those four areas together yeah. into one programme, if you like, that is, that is not just for nurses. And I think that's the critical difference. And that's the thing that certainly was one of the key drivers. This is something specifically for nurses, by nurses, to enhance nursing. Okay. Yes. Awesome. Thank you. Is there anything else, uh, Vanessa, that you wanted to, to share before we finish up? First of all, I'm just going to have a quick look on Twitter quickly again, just before we to make sure I've not missed anything. Okay, that'll come to Gemma and Emma. Um, if you were to sort of uh, leave the audience with any sort of last messages about this programme, what would it, what would you say? I just think if you've got the opportunity to apply, um, then do so. You know, it, 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 it's an amazing opportunity to obviously help others. But I think I've took a lot from it myself as well. Um, mm -hmm. It kind of does make you stop and, and reflect and look back at the obviously the past 12 months. And and I just feel like I've taken a lot from it personally um, that, you know, you can share with others. But more so, I think, yeah, it's an amazing opportunity. And I think if, if you do have the opportunity to apply, then then do so. Emma? Yeah, I mean, there's no better endorsement than what Gemma's just said. But I also know that it's not for everybody to be the PNA. So I would say to everybody, have an open mind. I don't think this is the panacea. It's not going to cure everything. You know, we've still got some really endemic issues around workforce gaps. And, you know, I'm, I'm not immune to that. But what I do know is this is a step in the right direction around equipping nurses with a, a specific set of skills, actually, to really help themselves and their colleagues. So I'd say have an open mind, find out more about it. We have got e-learning modules being built, which will set out what the role is and how to engage with them. So find out who your PNAs are, who they're going to be. And be open-minded, actually. Absolutely. Vanessa? Yeah, we've got no more questions coming in, but we'll okay. have a look at the, um, the feed later. Um, you know, so if you've just caught this at the last minute, then do have a look at the feed and let us have any questions. Um, but I think for me, it's just been really interesting. And I really like, you know, Emma's focus on sort of nurses and making sure that it kind of return, retains that nursing focus, because as we know, that often doesn't happen, does it? And mm. it's really important. And it's great if we're leading the way as well. Mm. Um, you know, hopefully we can share some of that so yeah I mean really positive for me I've always been a real strong advocate of restorative practice and supervision and things because of the areas you know my background's in acute mental health mostly so I think it's really important and um, yeah thank you it's really interesting it'd be mm. good to have you back on later on as well you know particularly mm. for some of the evaluations to yeah kind of mm. what's come out from that Absolutely. Fantastic. And it's it's lovely when we all can look and see nursing being its best, you know, nursing caring for, for each other. That's so, so important. That kind of role modeling, the kind of behavior that we want to see and the, the kind of behavior that we want to give out to other people. Um, so a quick email there from Dave saying next week we're off to Thailand for an alternative view of a student nursing placement in Thailand. 
So mm. well done, enterprising student nurses everywhere. Manage, <laughs> manage that. So it's not going to be something yeah. that we can do for the foreseeable future, but that one to tuck away there for any students who are watching. Yeah. And, and absolutely. So I just want to say last, last thank you to Emma Wady and Gemma Moran for spending yeah. time with us today at the end of very challenging long days. And, and very much thank you to everyone who's joining in today. Thank you very much. Good night. Bye. Bye, Bye, -bye guys. Bye.